0: Thank you, worship team. What a great song. Please have a seat. It's great to see all of the bright, smiling faces this morning. Good to see some new people. I've been away for a little bit, so I don't know whether you've been here for a while and I'm just seeing you for the first time or whether you're being here for the first time. See some people back that were a surprise, excited to see you guys this morning. My name is Dean Hendrickson, so I'm one of the pastors here. As Dan talked about during the announcement, there are four of us, Dan Hardy, Danny Evans, Chris Richards, and myself. We believe in plurality of leadership here at Windsor Community Church. Part of that is you get an opportunity to see each of us teach on a regular basis, and we think that's cool. And we think that's a neat opportunity to get to open the Word and to share that with you. And this happens to be my time to open the Word for the next few Sundays. I was on last week, and I'm on for this one and the next two. We also typically will take a book and teach through it. So we finished up uh, fairly recently 1 Corinthians, and it's an exciting book. We uh, I think we all grew a lot, especially those of us teaching, all right, stretched, grown. It's an incredible opportunity to open God's word, because there's no question in my mind that we're always stretched more from doing that and digging into it than if we were just listening. So it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, however, going to take a little bit of a detour. So for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to talk about prayer, something that's really been on our hearts as a pastor's board. And we weren't sure, to be honest, where we were going to go these three weeks when I left for South Africa. So it was, you know, we we had to let God work in our hearts and in our minds and, and guide us to this point. But I'm really excited about it, and I've really enjoyed digging in. And, you know, it's hard to figure out in prayer, where do you start? You know, how many times is prayer mentioned in the Bible? It's everywhere. You can just about open the Bible to any page and find something about a prayer. So it's not for a lack of finding prayer things. It's, it's for me, it was a... Finding something to help try to focus things in and and give us something to chew on, if you will, for the rest of the week. And so what God led me to was just talking about patterns of prayer. So what we're going to do over the next three weeks, starting today, is look at patterns of prayer. And we're going to pick out some specific prayers and look at those and see what we can glean from them. What does it look like? What was being taught in that particular area? Or, Or why did God include that prayer in His Word so that we might learn from it? So that's my goal and my hope is that God will teach us how he wants us to interact with him in prayer over the next three weeks. This won't be all encompassing. There is no way in the world we could teach on prayer for the rest of our lives and still never cover all of the prayers in the Bible. So my goal is is to give us something to work on, something to think about. This is not designed to be a let's sit back and listen for 35, 40 minutes on Sunday morning. But this is something that my hope is. You'll really dig into and chew on, if you will, for the rest of the week. I'm a veterinarian by trade, and so we talk about ruminating on things. It's a great terminology for things because ruminants, cattle, sheep, goats, they eat grass and hay very quickly, right? It does almost no good to them to start with. It's really just a very quick chewing so they can swallow it. But then they ruminate on that. They bring that back up later when they're resting, right? It was a natural design so that they. They could eat where there might be danger quickly and then move off to where there's safety to eat. And they bring things back up and they think about them. I won't give you all the gory details. Some of you are smiling because you know that I usually do. But today I'm not going to. So for those of you who don't deal well with those, you're safe for the moment. But that's my hope and my prayer for all of us as we go through this is that God would really take us And teach us and keep this in front of us. Not that it would just be a flash in the pan. Sometimes I worry about that. I worry that when we teach on Sundays, it's a great Sunday message. But then by the time you walk out of the door, it's gone. You've walked away from it. There's nothing in the Bible that isn't too important for that not to happen, but especially prayer. So let's pray and ask God to be our teacher today and that He would work through me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm totally dependent upon you for this message, like every message. There's nothing different today than always, and this is all about you. This is your kingdom. This is your church. This is your word. And I don't want to get in the way of that at all. Lord, I want to just be an empty vessel that you can use. So please, Lord, would you teach everybody here today what you would have them learn through through reading through Matthew? And Lord, I'm so excited about doing this. It is such a cool passage. We are so fortunate that Christ gave us an example on how to pray. So Lord, would you open our hearts and would you still our minds and would you teach us what you have for us? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's all open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start off in verse 1. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer. We commonly know this as the Lord's Prayer because the Lord was teaching the disciples how to pray. The challenge with this, it's an incredible prayer, and we could spend the whole day just talking about the prayer itself. But it really helps to understand the context behind this prayer and what was going on so that we might better understand why Jesus was teaching these guys this. It is a a prayer that is routinely used in many churches. You will hear it on any given Sunday. It is probably one of the most commonly prayed portions of scripture that you will find. It is a wonderful text. But why is it there? Jesus was trying to teach the disciples something. He started in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. And he was talking to them about some really important stuff. And he says to the disciples, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he put a benchmark there, and the whole of these next 13 verses, Jesus is going to give the benchmark example, what's, what shouldn't be done, and then he's going to tell them what should be done. Then he's going to go back and say, you shouldn't do this, and here's your example, and this is rather what you should do. So the rest of this passage is all based upon that, and, and looking at the benchmark of those scribes and pharisees that were not considered righteous by christ and it was because of their actions and their activities as we look into verse one of matthew chapter six he begins right on kind of taking off from verse 20 of chapter five and he says to them beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them otherwise you have no reward with your father who is in heaven Now. It's easy for us to say on face value, yeah, I agree, couldn't agree more. You know, we ought not to do things to draw attention to ourselves. It's not about that. But yet I think many of us struggle with that far more than we'd like to admit. I know that that was something that I really wrestled with leading worship. I had a point in my life where when leading worship, I did it because I was good. I could play guitar, I could sing, and I could be good at it. But God really had to work in my heart with that. And there was an issue. I was not leading worship to serve God. I was leading worship to show everybody else I could do it. And that was obviously a problem. So God took me out of it for years. Didn't even allow me to be part of a worship ministry or worship team. And I really struggled with that. It wasn't until I understood that what I was doing was wrong that I finally came to grips with what my heart and how it needed to be. So I needed to have been focusing on that verse. So I would encourage all of you to take a second and just look at that verse and see where in your lives... Where is it that you are doing things to draw attention to yourself as opposed to the Father? My guess is, while we have a good body here, and most people are great and and really seeking to serve God, there are probably still spots that we can work on and that we can get better at. And obviously it's important because Christ is warning the disciples of this. So he's telling them, don't do this. The rulers are deficient in righteousness. The scribes and the Pharisees, they aren't righteous. And they're going to be looked upon as such in the Father's eye. And he's going to talk about that more as we move on. And he's speaking especially here about matters of charitable deeds, matters of prayer, and matters of fasting, which we're not going to get into today. All of these things, the giving to the poor, the giving in the offering box, praying, fasting, all of these things are worship to God. These are all about God. There is nothing about us in need. There's no part of giving that really has to do with us other than our faithfulness. This is just something we do because it's the right thing to do. It's one of the reasons, frankly, why we don't pass a plate here. We give you an opportunity to not be tempted to throw a wad in the plate. Right? Uh, Or to throw a lot. When I was a kid growing up in the church, we had this one guy who liked to really draw attention to himself. So he would bring change for his offering. And when the plate came by, he would drop it from about a foot, right? So we eventually had to put felt in the bottom of the offering plate in order to try to limit this person's issues. There are a lot of other things that probably should have been done that weren't. But it's an interesting perspective, and that was just, hey, look at me. Watch me as I do that. So were there issues with that in the church? And as if we move on to verses 2 through 4, we can see, so not in the church, but in that time, In verses 2 through 4 it says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be done in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What does this look like? The poor box, actually, as it's talked about here, giving to the poor, was was called by the Jews the box of righteousness. So they had a box to give to the poor, and you would come in and you would put money in it, and they called that the box of righteousness. You would show your righteousness by sacrificing of what you had, because you had much, to give to those who had little. And it was something that you did that was to show your heart. Right. But what would happen in some of these cases, the hypocrites in this case would come in and they would announce loudly, I'm here and I'm walking over to the box. And I am depositing something in the box. Everybody notice me. right? So that was the heart that these people... It wasn't that they didn't have plenty. They did. They had lots. And it wasn't that they were giving. That's good. And even giving in the wrong pretense is better than not giving at all. But it's not as good as giving with the right heart. And so the concept here was, don't do that. Don't draw attention to yourself. Walk over quietly. Take it and put it in as you go by. Nobody the wiser that you were even there. That's the heart that's giving. Because then you're really giving sacrificially to the poor. Right? Because nobody knows you gave. Only you and God. Your audience of one knows that you gave. And that was the concept there. Hypocrites, actually the origin of the word hypocrites was from the Greek theater. And they described a character who wore a mask. It's a very fitting description, isn't it? So we put a mask on. I'm holy, I'm righteous, and I'm giving to the poor. How about you, Chris? Did you walk over to the box like me and give money and give to the poor? It's putting on a face. It's putting on a persona, if you will, that is wrong in most cases and probably not even accurate for the person because most of these people, while they gave money to the poor, probably resented it the entire time they were doing it because they'd rather keep it for themselves. So they gave it because they wanted to draw attention, but they didn't really want to help the poor. So they were putting on a mask or a persona that didn't really fit who they were, but they wanted people to think of them as that. And the fascinating part of all this to me is, of course, it backfired horribly because Christ looked at them and said, You're a hypocrite. Can you imagine the look on those guys' faces when they heard that? You hypocrites. Now, who were the hypocrites? Who were they? Well, it doesn't name them in chapter 6. It doesn't name who they are, but if we go on to chapter 23, it talks about the hypocrites being scribes and Pharisees, or if you will, the scribes and Pharisees being hypocrites. And that was a problem. So they don't give out of duty or of doing what is right, but rather they give out of pride and self-glory, out of vanity. Look at me. Aren't I special? Don't I have a lot to offer you? It's a danger of being a, a teaching pastor. Right? It's a danger of being a worship leader. It's a danger of being a Sunday school teacher. The danger of me coming to you and making it seem like I honestly have something to offer you. That you are fortunate to have the ability to sit under my tutelage. Right? That is a real danger and we can smile about it, but pastors are falling left and right. Right? because of that, that pride issue they're put in a position where you are looked up to and you can't stop and recognize no, they're looking up, you're not looking up to me you're looking up to the Father I just happen to be standing between you for this short moment of time but I don't bring you anything. I don't have anything to offer you, but maybe some time and maybe some diligence. But even then, it's God who gives you the message. It's so amazing to me how many times I will be prepared to stand up here on a Sunday morning and God will give a completely different message than I planned on. It'll use the same text. He'll use the same concept, but it will come out completely different with different emphasis and things. And I, I sometimes sit back and think I, it was almost like I was sitting with you. I wasn't here at all. I was learning right alongside you because the whole time I was speaking, they weren't my words. That's when I feel like I'm really used. When it works just like I planned it, I feel like you guys have been cheated because you didn't get what was best. But the concept here again, we don't want to take these things for ourselves. What about this? They will have their reward. If you look at this in the last part of verse 2, it says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Doesn't that sound like a positive thing? Doesn't that sound good? You're going to get rewarded for this kind of behavior. What do you think? Does that sound good or bad? It's an interesting part. The perspective is you're going to stand up before men. You're going to walk over and you're going to make a big to-do out of putting your stuff in the box. And your reward will be that the hypocrites that are just like you will look up to you. But nobody else. That is your full reward. Congratulations. Way to go, guys. They're not talking at all about the reward of Christ, the reward of God in heaven. And not it at all doesn't come in. It is the reward of fellow self-seeking people. That is your reward. Now, isn't that great to have those people looking up to you? You have really arrived when that happened. On the contrary, what we're to do, do it in secret. We're to walk by the box. Drop it in and walk on. No big deal, no fanfare, nothing going on. It's not between me and Dan Hardy, or Chris, or anybody else in this body. It's between me and God. That's why we give what we give. And what's cool, I think, about being here, is that the pastors don't have a clue what anybody gives. We have no idea. We each know what we give, individually, and that's it. Because we don't ever want to breed into you guys hypocrisy of wanting to please us and that's important God sees in secret in Matthew 6 6 he talks about that again we're going to hit that Matthew 6 18 Jeremiah seventeen ten, Hebrews 4 13 God knows everything there is nothing that goes on that God doesn't know he knows our heart every time we do these things but let's dive into the praying part of it And see what God has to teach us there. In verses 5 and 6, he's talking about where people pray. He says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. We'll go right back to that. Good for them. But... You, when you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's the same thing as giving of the alm. Don't make a big deal of it. Now, is it wrong? And this is where people go wrong, I think. Well, we should never pray in public. We should never pray in a group. Because that's wrong. It says so right here. It doesn't say that. He says, what is your heart when praying? There's nothing wrong with praying on a street corner. There's nothing wrong with praying in a church or a synagogue. There's nothing wrong with praying in a group. If your heart is right. If you are doing this to glorify God, if you are doing this to bring attention to Him, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing any of those things. However, if your desire is to bring attention to yourself, don't I sound good? I'm going to use my radio voice when I pray so that everybody, you know, feels good about me being on the radio or whatever. That's not the concept behind this. That's not what God wants for us. In prayer, even more so than giving, we are to be sincere because this is an act of communication with God personally, individually, one-on-one. It's important that we do it appropriately. It's fascinating to me when you look at this. When he talks in verse 5, he says, When you pray, it was assumed that the disciples prayed. There was no question. Christ assumed they were praying. Matthew Henry in his commentary has this great line. You may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I would love to believe that was absolutely accurate, that in our modern-day church, that we would be as involved in praying as we are in breathing. But I'm not absolutely convinced of that. And you know why I can say that? Because every morning I get the opportunity to look in the mirror at someone. And I know that that's, that's an area I struggle with, that I need to do more of. We need to be careful with these areas. The, the hypocrites chose the synagogues and the street corners for one reason. That's where the people were. In fact, if you go through the text and look at it, it, it talks about the broad streets. It's talking about the main streets. It's not just the street corner. It's talking about the big ones. It's it's where everybody's coming through, where everybody's going to be at. In the synagogue when everybody's there. Not when it's empty, but when it's populated. And that was a heart with these guys. So it's not a bad thing, again, to pray in those areas. It's a bad thing to pray with a heart that loves to be heard. I want everyone to hear me. I want everyone to look up to me. I want everyone to think I am the greatest prayer in the world. That's not the right heart. The heart is to just bear yourself before God. In many cases, people pray kneeling or prostrate, laying on the ground. Why? Why do that? What is the story with that? We talk about getting on our knees. It's a humble position, right? Standing up proud or kneeling humble. Again, the issue isn't the pose. The issue is the heart. But in many cases, if you're struggling with your heart, start with the right pose, and your heart will eventually come alongside with that. So start there and work on that. We don't want to appeal to men. We want to appeal to God. Isaac went to the field. Christ to the mountain. Peter went to the rooftop. Those are just great examples for us of people that went away to pray. However, we want to encourage you as well that praying as a group can be really powerful if your heart is in the right spot. So please join us when we are praying here as a group on the last Sunday of each month. In Ecclesiastes 5.2, Solomon talks about prayer. And I just love the way he says it. He says, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For if God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Prayer is not about this rambling oratory necessarily either. In some cases, it needs to be there. There is just an absolute pouring out of heart and spirit. But carefully choose your words and let them be useful and limited. Not a bad idea when you pray. And the Lord's Prayer was the epitome of that. How about praying? Verses 7 and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. As the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's a great picture here. And again, I think there's some people who take this and do just the wrong thing. Vain or meaningless repetition means saying something without actually thinking about what it means. Just using something that you do. That when I was a kid, we had all of these prayers that we did in the church I grew up in. And we would say them over and over and over. And as a kid, I had memorized them. We'd all memorize them. Our whole family memorized them. We didn't have to bring out the book even to do these. We were that good. And I had no clue what they meant. Until as I was later on in life and really started digging into God's Word. I went And I found out, you know, every single one of those were from the Scripture. But I had no idea. The guy who was leading them, I'm pretty confident, had no idea that they were scriptural. It wasn't about scripture. It was about, could you remember these from Sunday to Sunday? That's vain repetition. Is it bad to pray those things Sunday after Sunday? No, 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 no. That's not the problem. The problem is, again, are you doing it just to recite it, or is it your heart? These are rich, rich liturgical prayers out there that can be used if you use them in your heart. And they can be very good. The other thing that this doesn't stop, it doesn't stop persistence, right? God wants us to be persistent. If we have a need, he wants us to take it before him all the time. He wants us to be there and doing it regularly. In Luke 11:8, and then 18, 1 through 8 is a great example of doing this. 11.8 is talking about a guy that comes to a friend of his house and he is needing something. The friend says, go away. I'm in bed. My doors are shut. The kids are asleep. I'm not coming down. Knocks again. No, I'm serious. Really, buddy, go away. I'll talk to you in the morning. I'm not going to get up and help you. I'll be right there. Right? He came down and he gave the man some bread. In Luke 18, verse 1, there's a parable Jesus is telling. In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wears me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? But it's a great example. This does not mean you shouldn't ask for stuff that you need over and over. It means don't use vain repetition, something that's about you, not about God. then he dives into the Lord's Prayer. So he says, okay, I've given you guys some perspective on things, and now I'm going to share with you how an, an example of prayer. This is what it might look like if you were to do it. And this is a critical part. This is a model. This is not something that God requires of you to pray daily, weekly, monthly, on certain occasion. This is a model for prayer. There is nothing wrong with praying back the Lord's Prayer to God. But it is absolutely incorrect to recite it by memory with no feeling, with no heart, with no compassion towards the Father. And Christ says, pray then in this way. This is a model. You notice he doesn't say, pray this prayer. Pray in this way. Like this. I'm going to give you guys an example. It's brief. It's simple. And it's comprehensive. It's a beautiful prayer. It's one we can learn Huge amounts from. It has six petitions. Three of them are to God. Three of them involve human needs. It's basic. It's straightforward. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. First thing first, recognize God. It's all about Him. Right? That's what it's all about. Put Him in His rightful place. Put Him where He belongs. Recognize who He is his role in your life and do that father who art in heaven i recognize you're on the throne today tomorrow and forever hallowed be your name you are holy father you are so holy and i recognize that because of your holiness i want to be of a contrite heart as i come before you i want to do what is right before you father this is not about me This is not about anybody even noticing I'm doing this. This is about me recognizing where you are and who you are. First and foremost, if you can't go there, it's going to be really hard to do the rest. And I think that's one of our challenges. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will being done isn't a little thing, right? It's not easy for us to give up on what we want. We come, we, I, I'll just put it in the first term because it's me. I come before God a lot knowing what I need him to do. Being pretty well confident that I got it worked out. And that if he'll just do what I want, everything will work just fine. But sometimes that's not what he wants. Sometimes it's not what he has in front of us. And sometimes it's, it's not for us. But it doesn't matter. It's still what's best. There was another guy in the Bible that prayed a little bit. His prayer was, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's our Savior. Our Savior lived to serve God. He lived to see God's will be done, even though he knew full well what was coming. This was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? This was at the point where he knew full well that he was going to be taken... And in a, over a, a short period of time, scourged, whipped, beaten, mocked, hung on a cross, and humiliated for us, for the people who are sitting in this room here today. He did that for us. Could have been nobody else in the world, just us, and he'd have still done it. And he knew that was coming, and he, he would have gladly moved away, but he knew that that was God's plan. But he was willing to do that. Give us this day our daily bread. What do we need? Just what we need, Lord. We have a challenge with that sometimes. I think, give me what I want. I'd like a lot of things. And I have no shortage on wants. That's for sure. I could name a few for you here, but I've got lots of wants. But I really have far less needs. And God welcomes us to bring our needs before Him. And that was the deal, the daily bread. Bring us your daily bread. It refers back, I think, to the manna in the wilderness. Daily Giving it to you as you needed, everything you needed. Don't worry about anything else. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In Luke 11, 4, there's a parallel passage of this prayer. And it talks about forgiving us our sins. So the word it uses there is one for sin. And based upon what goes on in the next verses in verses 14 and 15, it realistically, the debts probably really doesn't mean financial debts. We don't truly have financial debts to God. We have a debt of salvation to him. So our salvation is there. So spiritual debts. And so we're really probably talking about that. And we have then not only asking him to forgive us of our sins against him, but to have us forgive those who have sinned against us. It's an important thing for us in verses 14 and 15. Really hammer that home. So we're not going to cover that today, but I would encourage you as you're reading back through this to look at that. If there are issues in your life where there are people you have not forgiven, it's time. You better get after it. The Father holds on to that pretty tight as far as telling you that, that He's going to hold on if you won't let go. Do not lead us into temptation expresses a desire to avoid further sinning right so it's recognizing in verse 12 look i know i've sinned against you father please forgive me i know that others have sinned against me but i'm forgiving them as well but lord please please help me not to be so stupid and do it again Help me not to walk away from this prayer with you, begging you for forgiveness, and walk out and do it again. So this lead me not in temptation is just the heart that says, please help me avoid sin more. Luke twenty two forty, Christ, as He dropped the disciples off and He was going off to pray to the Father where He would ask Him to take the cup away, He says, guys, while you're sitting here, Pray that you will not enter into temptation. Please do that. Did it work? Now they all went to sleep. They all had a nap. It wasn't good for them, was it? They had all sorts of problems. The guards came up, and Peter, of course, being fully entrenched in God's will, cut off the guy's ear. Right? So, it's a problem. We see a cause and effect. Christ knew this was all coming. Pray, guys. It's coming. You're going to be tested. In James 1.13, we know that it's not God who tempts us. It's the devil, but God allows it. James says, let no one say I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. However, he does allow us to be tempted. If you look at Job, Peter are great examples. In Luke 22.31 and 32, Christ says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What did Christ know through all of that? He knew that Satan was going to sift Peter. And what was Peter going to do? He was going to book it. He was going to flee. But he also knew. And how devastating it must have been. But how encouraging to hear. But when you turn back. Because I know you will. Strengthen your brothers. So what does it all look like? As we pull this all together. What is the summary of what we learn from Matthew six, especially verses nine through thirteen, but all of the first thirteen verses? Well, the things that hit me is that the first thing I need to do when I pray is I need to focus on God for where He is and who He is. I really need to do that. I have. I have a wonderful relationship with God and it's really cool because I really do see him as my father and I see God as being available to me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. I never question that. It's one of the neatest things in my life because I just never doubt that. I just know he's there. But sometimes rather than speaking to him as the holy father that he is, I speak to him like he's a buddy. And on one hand, that's cool that I can have that kind of relationship, but I fear that sometimes I don't put him in the right spot. Not that he requires me to do that, but I really think I could do a better job looking at the holiness of God and recognizing that it's a privilege that he allows me any minute of the day, any day of the year to come to him and do that. Don't be afraid to ask for things you need. He wants to do that. Well, he talks about the guy whose son asks for a fish. Who will give him a snake? Right? Or if he asks for bread, who will give him a rock? How much more will the father do? Don't vainly repeat and do be stubbornly persistent. Do be stubbornly persistent. He expects it and he wants it. Be grateful for your forgiveness and pass it on. And then don't forget to ask Him to help you to maybe stay away from the further need of forgiveness. Not that you'll get there completely this side of heaven, but it can be better. So, for me, that's what I came out of with the Lord's Prayer. Don't be a hypocrite. Be careful how you do things. Don't use those as excuses, however, not to pray in groups. Not to pray for people on the street corner or pray in the synagogue. But make sure your heart is right. And make sure you're seeking and relating with God. And you're not trying to draw people's attention to yourself. So I would really encourage you guys to dig through this. And and really see where God has you in this. And then we'll look forward to next week where we're going to pick somebody else. And we're going to go through one of their prayers and see what we can learn from that. Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful that you are the God of heaven and earth. And I am so thankful that you decided today to allow us to study this verse on prayer this passage i'm especially grateful that you allowed me to do it i know anybody could have and i'm grateful that you let me and i know lord that i have grown in my desire to connect with you through this and i can't wait to study for the next couple of weeks and even grow further in that desire Lord, would you put in each of our hearts a yearning to connect with you in prayer to connect with you in that fashion, Lord, that we can meet with you, that we can speak to you, that we can show our love for you, and Lord, that we can show you our needs and the needs of others in this body. And I know there are people here that are hurting, Lord, there, there are people who are ill, there are people in the hospital, and there are other sorts of situations, and you know all of them, and I know you know the needs, but I'm so excited that you want to hear from us anyways. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to open your word. And I just pray that you will be with us as we go through remembering Christ and his death on the cross through communion and that you will guide us there. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.